morning, Encounter Church. Acts chapter 8 is where we uh, find ourselves as we continue in our study uh, through the book of Acts. I'm always grateful for uh, Michael and his team who lead us in worship as we uh, worship the Lord in song and, and thankful for Jesse as we worship the Lord in prayer. And now worship God as we uh, sit and study his word. I uh, do want to just say a special shout out. It's good to have Lori and Adam back. I know Lori's been nursing a, uh, an injured foot. And there's a number of folks uh, who are, we got the Dills still out. Steve and Linda, Steve's uh, recovering, doing well. Was able to spend some time with them uh, this week and thankful for God's continued healing hand uh, in his life. And also think of like Donna Sims also who had a surgery some time ago. Donna typically kind of holds, helps these, uh, some of those ladies hold down that row uh, right there. And so uh, uh, Donna's not been with us uh, here for a couple of weeks. And so just a- as a church family, as maybe we notice uh, someone who maybe uh, isn't, who typically, again, we like to say maybe we don't have assigned seats, but who are we kidding? We tend to have assigned seats, self-assigned seats, right? But if we see someone or if we notice someone's not there, uh, just reach out to them and, uh, and, and let them know that we miss them and, uh, and be praying for them. But Lori, glad to have you back here. So here we are uh, back in the book of Acts. And I just want to uh, say last Sunday evening, we had a uh, most wonderful time roller skating, didn't we, church, right? Yeah, that was, that was just a wonderful time. I think some of you, uh, some of us in maybe our middle ages, uh, haven't uh, roller skated in some time. Uh, for some, it was rather obvious and evident that we hadn't roller skated in a while. Uh, but I think for some, we just kind of were like reliving the glory days of, of years gone by. Uh, but that was such a wonderful time. And if you were there, they, you also realize, I mean, there were just a ton of new faces. A ton of guests had come. Uh, I know even um, Alonzo the baker, who's just next door, he had, re- he had been given an invitation, and he brought his two girls out, and they stayed the, the entire time, and, and other people. I mean, it was just, it was neat to see Laura's husband there. John uh, was, was there uh, joining with us, and it was just a wonderful time. And, and Denise uh, sails over there. She is, she's just like the busy bee who's doing all of these things behind the scenes, and Denise put these wonderful goodie bags together. Denise knows how to put the goodie in the goodie bag. Let me just say that. Because I didn't know exactly what all was going in these goodie bags. And I'm just handing, right, we're handing them out in good faith, <laughs> believing that, I mean, believe, knowing that Denise knows how to put goodie bags together. But, but like, there is, there's some goodie in here. We, we gave out uh, 26 goodie bags. And these, the goodie bags were given to family units, okay? Not every guest got one, but they were given to family units. Now, I know a couple, maybe a couple of our children may have taken one or two of them on their own, but by and large, we gave out uh, over 20 of these goodie bags to 20 different families. And in them, right, they had one of our, our mugs that makes your, your coffee drinking a spiritual experience. But in there was candy, and she gave away these little mini Frisbees, Right, I've got some extra ones, uh, Carl, if you want to teach Dune how to get Frisbees. That's like an appetizer Frisbee for him there. Uh, but she gave, she put some of these like Jesus is our lifesaver type things. It was, just, it was just a hoot. And of course, there's some church information. 
But I want to pull out this one resource that she put in there. And, and these were books that were given by uh, Stephen Linda Dill. And it's a book by Lee Strobel titled The Case for Easter. And in this book, it says a journalist investigates evidence for the resurrection. And so every person who got these received, uh, every guest who, who received one of these bags and took it home, they received one of these booklets. And later on Sunday evening, I got a text message from Will Howlett. Many of us know Will Howlett. Uh, he's like family here. Well, he is family for some of you. Uh, but Will uh, loves Jesus and is an inviter, right? He's a connector, and he brought a friend of his. And later in the evening, Will, he sent me a text, and he's like, hey, man. He said, I just want to tell you thank you for putting that book in the guest bag because he said, my friend who I came uh, is an atheist, and he said, we've had gospel conversations, and this is just another opportunity to hear uh, where he can hear and read and be exposed to the truthfulness of the resurrection. Uh, church, I want to commend you for a job well done last Sunday evening of inviting your friends and inviting your family members to a, a fun roller skating evening. And, and we, are, we are carrying out the activity that we are learning about uh, here in the book of Acts. And that even through, like, through this booklet, uh, we, we are continuing the, the voices of these early witnesses of, of Acts that we're studying, their voices continue to speak through our voices as we share, because that, that's ultimately, that is the message that they were going around and de declaring, is that Jesus is alive Right, that's the primary message that these witnesses and acts, they're spreading. It's that Jesus is risen. That Christ indeed rose from the grave. And church, that really is the foundation of our message. The gospel, the good news that we share, it rises and falls on whether or not Jesus walked out of the tomb. And frankly, that is, right, that's, that's the question every person has to answer. Am I going to believe that to be true or not? Yeah. Am I be, because if, if you believe that Jesus rose from the grave and you trust in that, then that does change everything. That changes everything. And so the voices of these early witnesses, they continue to speak through us today. They spoke through us as a church as we were, like we jokingly said last Sunday, we were witnessing on our wheels as we roller skated around and had a wonderful time. And, they, and these voices of, of proclaiming Jesus' resurrection will continue to speak to, through us as we invite people to the Easter service here in just a couple of weeks. As, as we look in that, on that Sunday on April 9th, as we just consider the reality that the grave, the tomb is empty. So now we turn our attention here to chapter 8. 
And last Sunday, maybe uh, for those of you who are with us, you, you might be reminded that Stephen, it was Stephen's martyrdom that we studied last week, and, and we're reminded that uh, the big idea for last Sunday is that the world may reject you, but Christ will receive you, and we saw that as Stephen saw heaven open up and Jesus standing there, ready to receive Stephen, and we came to that conclusion that if who cares if the world rejects us? That if in the end Christ is there to receive us, that's all that matters. That's truly all that matters. And so we, we've been reading of this heightened opposition against this Christian movement, against this resurrection movement, might we say. And, we, and we've been seeing, and, and again, the governing authorities and the religious leaders and the religious rulers they're, they're trying to thwart, they're trying to, to, to quench this growing movement and they're turning to violent means. We saw that they would go, that they would stop at no end, that they would, that they're willing to, obviously if they're willing to kill our Savior, then they're certainly willing to kill men and, and women like Stephen. And yet in their attempt, and we, we jump here again, we, we start here in verse 1, of chapter 8, then we will read through, Lord willing, all the way through chapter 8 this morning. But it says, right, there's Stephen. He says at the end of verse of chapter 7, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What a way to describe uh, his death there, right? We would think of violent means of death, of stoning. But yet Luke records that the peace that passes all understanding in the midst of that, because of the spirit who filled Stephen, that describes it that he fell asleep to this world but woke up in the presence of his Savior. And in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, And Saul approved of their killing him. And of course, this is a bit of a glimpse of what is to come. And Saul approved of those killing him. And on that day, it says... On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Samaria, right? Here, that, that verse gives us a, an understanding that Jesus promised there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will be my witnesses. What will we be witnesses of? That of Jesus' resurrection, he says right before he ascended into heaven, he says, you will be my witnesses here, starting here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world, to the ends of the earth. And so what we see again is, that, is chapter 8 is this transition away outside of the city limits of Jerusalem and now into Judea, into Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so it says that they were scattered. And so this persecution that broke out against the church, it had the opposite effect, didn't it? It had the opposite effect. They had hoped that this persecution would, would fill these followers of Jesus with fear. But instead, all it did was embolden their witness. It says in verse 3, or in verse 2 rather, goes on. It says, godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. And going from house to house, he dragged off, off both men and women and he put them in prison. Verse 4, those who had been scattered, it says they preached the word wherever they went. They preached the word 
wherever they went. We see that the intention of the opposition was to crush this resurrection movement through fear. But their opposition was only met with an increased determination in the hearts of these witnesses. In other words, what these witnesses said is how can we deny what we have seen? How can we deny this to be true? Jesus, we saw it with our own eyes. No, no level of persecution, they're saying, is going to stop us in our witness. And that's what it did. It, it says it scattered them. Earlier this week, I was out in the garden. And I'm reminded of my grandma, Bame, who used to have a saying in her flower bed that said, a weed is but an unloved flower. And there in my garden was an unloved flower that I don't hesitate to call a weed. And it was a dandelion. And as I was trying to root this dandelion out, a little bit of a gust of wind and a little bit of shake as I was getting it out of, out of, the, out of the ground. And what happened? You know what happened, right? The dandelion's seeds, they were so loosely connected and they just scattered. And I thought, I've done more harm than good at this point because now I've got probably another hundred dandelions about to spring up in my garden. And this is the picture of what's taking place is that as they are trying to stifle out this movement, the movement says, that's fine. We'll just take our message elsewhere. And they scattered. And there's an interesting word, an interesting phrase that is used there at the end of chapter 4. It says, those who had been scattered, it says they preached the word wherever they went. Now, like when we hear that word preach, what do you automatically think of? Well, you think of people like me who preach, right? You think, oh, that clearly that's the pastor's job, right? And they preach the word, right? So I have to like use my big preaching voice and I have to go and preach the word to people. But believe it or not, this, this word, some, some people say that maybe that's not necessarily the best way to say that because automatically we just think, okay, that's the job of the pastor. But that's not what's being that's not what we're being told. Instead, maybe a more literal translation, however, is, is that they were gospelizing the word. That they, were, that they were just sharing the word. They were sharing the truthfulness of their witness along the way. Or maybe, and again, I'm taking a little bit of grammatical and English uh, license here, but maybe we could say they were gospelizing the gospel on the go. So today's big idea is a tongue twister for us all. We are called to gospelize the gospel on as we go. Can we say that out loud? Okay. I won't make you say it fast five or, or, or ten times, but instead let's just say it out loud. All right, here we go. We are called to gospelize the gospel as we go. That's the picture that we're being given here. Right? It's not that they were setting up their podiums and inviting people to gather around so they can preach the word. But instead, the picture is that through the course of their daily activities, 
They just shared the gospel. They gospelized the gospel just as they went along the way. And again, we're seeing this gospel, we're seeing this witness, this message go far beyond the walls of Jerusalem. In in fact, we're going to see here, Philip is going to take this witness to Samaria or to the region of Samaria. Uh, then in our study, as we go through, we're going to meet a, a man in, some, in, in that region of Samaria by the name of Simon. Uh, maybe there's a subtitle in your copy of God's Word right above verse 9 where it says, Simon the Sorcerer. Right? Maybe that's got attention of all you Harry Potter fans. And then at the end, we're going to then go to another place, to a, a desert roadside in Gaza. And we'll be introduced to an Ethiopian eunuch. And so we see that this witness, these witnesses just would not remain silent. And, and what we see is, in particular, Philip is brought to our attention as someone, as the example of someone who preached the word as he went, or might we say, who just simply gospelized the gospel as he went, as we go. So this is Philip is going to help us to see what exactly does this look like. And so let's look here again in, in verses 4 through 8. And this is going to help us to see our first point. Today I've got, okay, I've got a couple bonus points today. I've actually got five points for you today. How's that sound, right? Uh, so what we're going to see is, is in our gospelizing the gospel as we go, we're going to see that God uses ordinary people to tell the news of Jesus' resurrection. That God uses ordinary people to tell the news of Jesus' resurrection. This week, as I was studying there in my Fern Creek office, the manager of Panera, often he'll come over and uh, we'll talk for a little bit. And he asked me, he said, I was str- you know, kind of struggling through the sermon as I tend to do each week. And, and uh, he, he looked at me and, and he said, Michael, do you ever find yourself uh, in your sermons that you're just repeating the same things every week? And I laughed. I said, well, I said, that's probably a question that's better asked to the congregation. But in hindsight, as I thought about that, I thought there are some truths that we just need to repeat every week, right? I mean, that's why we do the Apostles' Creed. We remind ourselves of what we believe. That's why we participate in the Lord's table. We, we remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us. And, and right, part of the Christian life is repetition. And this is one point that probably is not new news to many of us, but it's certainly worth being reminded of, is that God uses ordinary people to tell the news of Jesus' resurrection. And the way in which we come to this understanding is we make a quick note of this guy by the name of Philip. At first, in, in first reading this, you might think, well, Philip, he was probably one of those original 12 disciples, but that's not the Philip here, right? The Philip that that then takes the gospel as he is scattered from the walls of Jeru- out of the city limits of Jerusalem, he's actually one of those deacons that was mentioned back in chapter 6. Remember last week we learned about Stephen, who was a deacon, right? He was, they, he was, uh, they, they were commended as, as men to help serve the body of believers. But you look back at chapter 6, 
And you see there in verse 5, it says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip. So what Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, what Luke is helping us to see is that it's not the apostles, it's not the original 12 that's being highlighted here. Instead, it's an ordinary guy, an ordinary gal like you and me. Philip, up to this point, was formerly unknown to us. But it's finally there in Acts chapter 6 where he is brought to our attention. It's, a, it's an interesting note that we see throughout the book of Acts that it, that it focuses not just on the important role of the, of the disciples or, or of the apostles in the spread of Christianity, but also the important role of the new believers. And again, I don't know if you caught this or not, but did you notice that, that looking back up there in verse 1, what does it tell us? It says that who was scattered... All of these new believers are the ones who scattered. Who are the ones who stayed put there in Jerusalem? Who is it? It was the apostles. It says all except the apostles or all except those original, those 12 disciples. They are the ones who stayed there in Jerusalem. Who does God send out? It's new believers. It's people like you and me. One historian records, he says that the chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it a profession, but instead were men and women who carried on their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those that they met in a very natural fashion. You see, what we, what's being shown to us here is as Philip and as they are scattered around is that this should be an example to every one of us, every Christian today, that like the early disciples, we too should be about the business of taking the gospel with us wherever we go. And we should be speaking about Jesus in our day-to-day conversations with, with those whom we meet. I mean, ultimately, this is, right, it's word of mouth. What do they say is the best form of marketing? (laughs) It's word of mouth. What's the best form of witnessing and evangelizing? It's word of mouth. I've said it before. I'll say it again that the gospel is always, the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. And that God uses ordinary people in building his church. Yesterday afternoon, I got a, a call on my phone, which I guess is what I typically get calls on. And I got a call on my phone. I didn't recognize the number. And uh, ordinary, most of the time, like many of you, I just kind of let it go to voicemail. And if they leave a message, then it's important. If not, then it was probably a scammer. And, but today I didn't recognize, or yesterday I didn't recognize the phone number, but instead I just felt compelled to answer the phone. And so I answered it and it was a lady. She introduced herself. She said, I'm your neighbor. Uh, from just up the hill, she said, living on Cedar Creek Road. Uh, she said, I'm your neighbor, and I'm calling for Marin, which immediately told me she doesn't know us. And so I said, okay, well, uh, I said, well, let me get the phone to Marin to you. And uh, so I, I then took the phone to Marin, just the sweetest, sweetest lady, a neighbor living to us. Circumstances were such she had gotten our phone, no- our phone number and was responding to a question that we had put out there. And in this very short, brief conversation, that Marin had with our neighbor 
First time ever meeting her. We've never even met her face to face. But in that very brief conversation, guess what that woman did? She welcomed us to her, her neighborhood and she invited us to her church. It wasn't forced. It was very natural. We'd never met her before. She's an ordinary lady who's lived in the neighborhood for probably a long time. When was the last time you invited someone to your church? I don't say that to be heaping guilt or shame on any of us. I just say that as a means of encouragement. Because God uses your ordinary invitations. He really does. So this is the example we see. Philip, right? These people are scattered. The, the, The big guns, the apostles, the disciples, right? They're back in Jerusalem. God says, the way I'm going to get my message out is through ordinary people. And then we see next here, this next truth, this next observation as we gospelize the gospel as we go, is that God puts us in unexpected places for gospel purposes. We pay attention to how the text tells us where Philip went. It says there in verse 5 that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed, he proclaimed the Messiah there. Now, many of us are familiar. We understand that there was bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. That's why the the good Samaritan parable that Jesus tells is is so astounding. Would have been such such a a revelation to these Jews that are listening to Jesus is because the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. No Samaritan would have ever won a popularity contest in Jerusalem. The Samaritan people were rejected. They were despised by the Jews. The Samaritans, through the eyes of the Jews, they were seen as being unfaithful, that they were of a mixed ancestry. They were treated at times, they often were treated as simply half-breeds. And we know that the Jews would take the long way around just to avoid having to walk through Samaritan land. However, a result of the scattering of the believers was that Philip went down to where? To the region of Samaria. Why? For the purpose of gospelizing the gospel as he went along. To proclaim Christ, it says. Right? One has to wonder if Philip ever imagined himself going to these Samaritan people. Right. Was that was that like Philip's dream that as soon as he trusted and as soon as he saw the resurrection, he thought to himself, I'm going to go to the Samaritan people. Or maybe it was just a a means of an unexpected time, an unexpected situation that because of the persecution, Philip's like, well, where should I go? I'll just go to Samaria. Why not? Right. Philip was given a unique opportunity as he found himself in the eyes for in the eyes of many Jews would have been a rather unexpected place. And I wonder what a, what unexpected place or what unique opportunity has God put before you to share the gospel with others. 
I think of some within our church family who here in recent weeks and months have had unexpected hospital stays. Back in November, you would have never, if I would have asked Steve Dill or Yana Bean and said, hey, um, how about you two become missionaries to the hospital and the caregivers at Baptist East Hospital? Right? What, what, let's start imagining and thinking through all of the different ways that we can begin to reach those nurses and reach those, those workers there with the gospel, right? What, what, maybe we can take donuts to them, right? Everyone loves donuts, and then we'll slip a little invitation card in there. Maybe that's what we'll do. Right? Back in November, right, we would have been dreaming all of these ideas, but God would say, hold, hold a second, wait a second, uh, uh, I've got other plans. Steve? I'm going to allow you to experience a stroke. And by the way, Yana, because where two or three are gathered in the same hospital <laughs> floor, it's just a lot more fun. Uh, Yana, I'm going to allow you to experience a stroke because those people on that fourth floor of Baptist East Hospital need to see what it's like to follow Jesus. And I'm going to let you serve there as a short-term missionary for about a month and a half. An unexpected place. One morning as I was there uh, praying with Yana, a gentleman by the name of Austin came in and uh, Austin was moving Yana to a different, a different room and Austin just happened to be there as I was getting ready to, to head out the door. I was preparing to pray with Yana. Austin walks in and uh, we just met each other and, and spoke ever so briefly and in my prayer, I just simply prayed for Austin. Prayed for Austin. I didn't think a whole lot of it. Just, just prayed that God would work in his life and reveal himself to Austin as Austin is standing there before, uh, right there in front of us. And, and so I left, and, and Austin then starts pushing Yana down, down the hallway, and Yana begins that, continues that conversation and says, that's my pastor. And, and here's Austin's response. Austin says, you know, it's been a long time since anyone prayed for me. I've not seen Austin yet since. Yana hasn't seen Austin since, but we don't know how God might use that small opportunity to awaken, to begin to awaken Austin's heart to Jesus. It's an unexpected place. Maybe it's the unexpected job change. Maybe it's the unexpected cancer. Maybe it's those unexpected new neighbors that have just moved in next door. Maybe you're in college and maybe you had hoped to get the summer internship, but that unexpectedly didn't go through like you had hoped. And now you see yourself as being stuck at home working a job like the rest of us. And that's an unexpected change of plans. Or it could be something as simple as the unexpectedly long wait in the Walmart checkout line because you happened to pick the wrong register line to get into <laughs> as you're counting heads and thinking, which one's the fastest here? But could it be that God has you in that unexpectedly long line for a unique opportunity to do what? To share the gospel. Or, like our neighbor, 
to invite them to church? How can we take advantage of the unexpected places or the unique opportunities for gospel purposes? Here in this text, leading in, right, Stephen's martyrdom and, and the scattering, the persecution of the church and the scattering of the church, what seemed as a disaster was seemed as, as the, a disaster results in a successful mission. The result of Philip's faithfulness in sharing the gospel is that many people believe, we see there, uh, going on then into verse 8, it says that there was great joy in that city. Why? Because Stephen brought the good news that Jesus is alive and that changes everything. And it says, so there was great news there, there was great joy in that city. And now we then we move into this account of Simon the sorcerer. And I look at the time and I probably better pick up the pace just a little bit. It, we see here in verse 8, follow along with me as I read. I'll go ahead and read verses 9 through uh, 25. And that will give us an idea and there'll be an observation here that I'll make from it. It says, now from for, for some time, again, we're still in Samaria, the region of Samaria. Philip is still there. It says, now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and had amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention. And they exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. And so they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ, it says they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Paul every, or Philip rather everywhere. He was astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. So Peter and John leave Jerusalem and say, wait a second, there's a revival going on in the most unexpected place in Samaria. You better go and check it out and make sure it's legit. It says, verse 15, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so then Peter and John says they placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. <laughs> when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is Simon, again, the sorcerer, who's impressed with great power and is used to be people saying, oh, look, Simon, right, the great high and mighty power of God. Now Philip rolls into town and miracles are taking place. Simon realizes, uh-oh, there's competition here. And so now what does Simon want? Simon looks at Peter and John and he says, I want that power too. Will you, will you, Will you lay your hands on me? In fact, I'll even be willing to buy it from you. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. 
Then Simon answered, he said, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me, but he never repents. You notice that? Then after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Here's what we're going to see as we share the gospel along the way is that we shouldn't be surprised that some who claim to believe uh, maybe eventually end up turning away. And this is a, this is probably the hardest truth, right? These other points are are rather encouraging. This is a hard reality to accept and, and to 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 consider. We do see that the Bible records how Simon claimed to believe. It says he was even baptized, but it becomes clear that his motives were selfish. You see, for Simon, the gift of the Holy Spirit was something to be dispensed in the same manner that he performed his sorcery or his satanic tricks. See, Simon saw this as uh, more of an opportunity to make a name of himself, to boast and to brag, more opportunity to make more money. Greed and self-promotion seemed to be his motives. And what Peter says is, you're not one of us. You are still being held captive by your sin. Right, and we see it's, it's notable, right, that, that maybe for a period of time, Simon actually appeared to be like the real deal, right? And his, I mean, for like, let's think about Philip, right? As, as Simon claims to believe, think about Philip. He's like, wow, look at this, right? The cosmic forces, right? Good has overcome the evil one here, right? Simon has believed, and you almost kind of think that maybe Philip is thinking, you know, it would, might be kind of nice to have, you know, this Simon, formerly the sorcerer, uh, you know, maybe he could kind of be the poster boy of, of our ministry here, right? Let's kind of give him a platform and let him show how powerful it is, but then it comes to, to light that he never knew the Lord in the first place. At this point, we might consider Jesus' parable of the soils, which Luke also recorded in his first book there in Luke chapter 8, where the four soils show us how the seed of the gospel will sometimes sprout in a person's life, but then will eventually die out. Notice, however, that just because some of the seed fails to produce lasting fruit, that the farmer continued to scatter the seed. Right? We understand and we have to, we have to know that sometimes we're going to scatter the seed. We're going to invest in the lives of people. And yet it very well could be that they will come to a point in their life where they would say, I no longer believe. And that they'll turn their back on the Lord. I had this happen a number of years ago. A gentleman, uh, he and his girlfriend were attending the church uh, for some time. I was meeting at his office. We were studying through the Bible. I was, I was going through, the, I remember going through the book of James. We were dipping our toe in the book of e- toes in, in the book of Hebrews. And, and I felt like we were making some headway. And then finally out there, right out there on one of those square little tables outside in the cafe area, uh, he sits one, one morning, he met me here and he said, listen, Michael, he said, I just want you to know, I don't believe this stuff. He said, I was just doing this for my girlfriend. We had, we had baptized the guy. Right? We had celebrated. And yet he gets to this point to where his motives were, were not pure. They were wrong. And he walked away and he's never darkened the door since. There will be those who claim to believe, who you share the gospel with, and you have the joy 
of even, maybe even uh, leading them in Bible studies in groups, there will be people who walk away. They walked away from Jesus. Jesus told us even in that parable and other times that they will, there will be some who will walk away and they will walk away from you and even at times from this church. And yet as heartbreaking as this is, we mustn't be surprised by it, nor should we be discouraged in continuing to share the gospel. Because there are a lot of people out there who will respond with right motives. And then this then is where we continue on. And now again, we're so now we're shifting again another location, right? We've we've looked there at the region of Samaria that Philip went. Then we looked at Simon the sorcerer. Again, Philip is helping us to see what does it look like to gospelize the gospel as we go. And now we're going to be introduced to this Ethiopian eunuch. And go ahead and look there. Follow along with me as I read. And I'll go ahead again. We'll, we'll read it and make some observations. Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he, or Philip, started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandeki, which means queen of the Ethiopians, or some of your versions might have Candace there. It says, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he says, do you, and, and Peter asks, he says, do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of, the, of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? And the eunuch asked Philip, he said, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Astos and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So here's the fourth observation that we make about witnessing along the way is that we should witness in a way that you care for individual people that you care for individual people. You know, we live in a world that we, where we tend to be impressed with big numbers, with big buildings, big budgets, don't we? It seems that God, however, oftentimes calls people to himself, not in the big, but it seems many times our experience is that God calls people to himself. How? Through one-on-one -on -one conversations, through the individual. In the Ethiopian eunuch, we see God's heart 
for individual people. One person is enough for God's heart to be moved into action. Because keep in mind, what what Philip is in this region, right, leading up to this account, Philip is in this region of Samaria, and, and from he is having ministry success, right? It says that the city was filled with joy, that many in that city are being, they're believing. And yet, what does God do? God sends an angel to get Philip's attention and says, Philip, I want you to come to Gaza. Why? Is there, is there another revival going to take place? Is there another crowd there for me? Nope. But there's one man I want you to meet. Philip meets this man referred to as the eunuch as he is returning to the region of Ethiopia after having been in Jerusalem, it tells us. Right? This, this man had traveled, and this would have been hundreds of miles of travel. He's traveling in this, this chariot. Okay? He, didn't have plush, <laughs> he didn't have plush seats like we do these days. He didn't have air conditioning in his car. He's riding in a chariot. Lots of bumps along the way. And so he had traveled to Jerusalem for the purpose of, of worshiping. We see this guy is seeking the Lord. He's a curious seeker. He has questions. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. However, uh, because of his condition as a eunuch, he is not permitted. He's not permitted to participate in the fullness of the temple worship because in Deuteronomy chapter 23, the, the, the Mosaic law, that Old Testament law, would not allow a eunuch to enter into the worship like that. And so one can only imagine, right? Here you are, you've traveled all of these many miles and only to get there and at times maybe even to kind of feel as if you're a social, bit of a social outcast. However, it's the prophet Isaiah. That, it's Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah that the eunuch is reading about here, right? He's re- and what's so significant about the prophet Isaiah? It's because in Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 through 5, the prophet actually foretells of a day when the eunuchs will no longer be excluded. It speaks specifically about that. It says that there's a day when the outcasts, those who are socially outcasts, will no longer be excluded, that they will be permitted to enter in. And to worship the Lord. And so it should not surprise us that this eunuch has a special interest in the ministry of this suffering servant. Jesus Christ that he reads of. And, and so what he, he asks Philip. He says, tell me, who is this suffering servant who is making a way for me to be able to participate in the fullness of the worship? Do you notice here that God, again, he pulls Philip outside, out, out of Samaria, out of that place of this, this great revival, we would probably call it, in that area. And he, he, he says, come, I have a man I want you to meet. And I want you to tell him about Jesus. Do you notice how Philip cares for this man? Philip gives the eunuch his attention. Philip lovingly just simply asks him a question. 
we see in this account that Philip takes the time to sit with him and to listen to this man's concerns. We see here that as we share the gospel, our motive should not just be to get another notch on our spiritual belt and say, wow, look at me, look what I've done, but to do so out of genuine care and concern for that person. Earlier this week, I, had, I was talking to a young man who comes from a larger family, and my wife and I are always interested in learning from those who come from larger families to see what was done well and, and what they appreciated about or maybe didn't like from being in a larger family. And I asked the gentleman, I said, you know, I said, out of all your siblings right now, I said, is there one that maybe you feel the most closely connected to? And he immediately responded uh, with her name. He said, yes, Abby. And then he followed it. He said, yeah, it's probably Abby. And then he followed it up. He, f- he said, but, but frankly, he said, I think that's probably what most of my siblings would say, that we're all kind of connected to Abby. So that got, that I, I said, okay, what is it about Abby that draws all of you to her? And here's what he said. He said, she listens. She listens. Right? We live in a world where everyone is trying to get your attention so they can tell you something. And far too often we fail to listen. And what we see, we see Philip taking the time to listen to this eunuch. To hear his questions, to hear his concerns. I'm, there, there's no doubt that only a very small portion of this conversation is recorded for us here. But we get this sense that because God cares for the individual, then we should be caring for them too. Church, I wonder, are you taking time to care for people? Are you taking time to listen to them? Are you taking time to to understand where they're coming from? One of the greatest demonstrations of the gospel is the way in which we care for other people. What What use is our witnessing if we aren't first willingly to genuinely care for them? Before Philip answers his questions, he first provides a caring heart. And I wonder, church, are we allowing margin in our daily schedules to care for other people? Are we allowing ourselves in the hustle and bustle of all of our activity, are we allowing ourselves the opportunity to stop what we're doing and to genuinely listen to people? Because we care for them. Are you willing to leave the many in search of the one? Maybe that one outcast who has never known what it's like to be cared for. You almost have to wonder if maybe the eunuch while he was in Jerusalem, if he actually heard some of the the apostles preaching, right? Did he, while he was in Jerusalem, did he hear Peter preaching on the street corner? (laughs) 
right? Because they were all, they were all there. Did he hear that? And yet, that's not what God used to finally draw him to himself. God used the caring one-on-one conversation of Philip. In church, maybe this week, God has in mind a one-on-one conversation already waiting for you to have with someone. He's preparing that, that moment and know that God would help us to care for them. And then finally, what do we do as we gospelize the gospel on the go or as we go? Is that we give people Jesus. What did, what did Philip do? Right, the eunuch asked, he says, Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. Where did he do? He started with Isaiah. He started with where that man was at. And what did he do? He told him the good news of Jesus. He gave him Jesus. Philip didn't say, well, here's my opinion of this. Or he didn't say, well, here's the seven steps to your best life now. Gave him Jesus. He told him about Jesus. This week, I'm going to be sending out an email with a link to a wonderful document that Steve Dill has put together that helps us answer some of these questions that people have. So that way, in a caring way, as we go into these conversations, we can be able to connect the dots for people and ultimately do what? Give them Jesus. Lead them to help and see how Jesus is the answer to this, to that question that they have. Church, how often do you try to steer your conversations toward Jesus? When was the last time you shared someone your testimony of how Jesus has changed your life? What if this week all of us asked God, and we just said, God, help me this week be more intentional in giving people Jesus. John Stott wrote, he said, it is a great privilege to witness. It is a wonderful thing to be able to tell others of the love of Christ, knowing that there is nothing that they more urgently need to know and no knowledge in the world that can do them so much good. And then we see the eunuch, what happened? He goes on and demonstrates genuine faith through obedience, because that's what it is, right? When when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we trust in the resurrected Savior, it changes everything, and we now live in obedience to him, and this eunuch says, out of obedience, he says, I need to be baptized. Let's go and find a water hole. And so we see, again, in comparison, in such a contrast to Simon the sorcerer, how this eunuch trusted in Jesus and church tradition, some belief that this eunuch then went on as a missionary there to the region of Ethiopia. Church, we are called to gospelize the gospel as we go to declare that Jesus is living, that he has risen from the dead, and that it changes everything. Would you pray with me?
Father, we are grateful for your word. And Lord, now we need your spirit to use your word to change us. Help us, Lord, to be better witnesses. Help us, Lord, to care for people. Help us, Lord, to point them to Jesus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.